I'm excited to share the interview that I recently had with Lisa Bragg, who is a friend and a new author of the book Bragging Rights, which comes out on May the 11th, where she talks about the importance and the value of us getting more comfortable promoting ourselves and talking about our accomplishments. I think there are lots of really great tips that are going to come out of this interview, and I look forward to sharing it with you. Okay, so welcome to my lemonade stand. This I'm really happy today to have Lisa Bragg as my guest. So Lisa has literally written the book on how to talk about success. Her book, Bragging Rights, How to Talk About Your Work Using Purposeful Self-Promotion, releases in May. I believe it's available for pre-order now on Amazon. Lisa is a speaker, an advisor, and professional mentor, and she's also the founder of MediaFace, a Toronto-based content and con- consulting firm. And prior to that, Lisa was a TV reporter and anchor for 15 years. So welcome to my lemonade stand, uh, Lisa. Really happy to have you with us today. I'm so happy to be here with you. And you and I go way back, so that's so exciting, Dion, to be here on your lemonade stand with you today. And speaking of lemonade stands, I know that you actually have a couple of lemonade stand stories. And I wondered if we could kind of kick it off with those before we get into the details of the book and the topic. I love the title of your show. I think it's perfect because everyone, I think everyone has a story about a lemonade stand. So think about as I tell my stories, maybe you in the audience also have lemonade stand stories because so back in my news days, I would um, be in the van, the news van, and I would see lemonade stands pop up. And I would go and and talk to the people behind the lemonade stand, the kids and their parents, of course, to to see what the story was behind the lemonade stand. Because think about it, they're doing it for a reason. There's a purpose for them to bring all that all the goods out to market right in their lawn. It could be that they want new toys. It could be they wanted a puppy. But so often than not, it was actually something bigger than that. I would find the kids who are raising money for their local Olympian or kids who are raising money for a friend who is stricken with cancer. And so I would almost drop whatever story I was doing to do that story or put it on the news desk radar because those are the stories that inspire us and make us bigger than what we are, those lemonade stand stories. So I have it in one of my bios now that I've covered everything from international business to the lemonade stand around the corner. And I think both are equal and important to our our world and our culture right now. The second story is not as nice, so but it, it kind of starts an entrepreneur journey for me. Where I grew up in in Toronto, in inner city Toronto, before being in downtown was really super cool. Um, you know, we, my friend and I were were trying to make money. I don't remember what the cause was, but it was probably for ourselves, not so altruistic like the other kids in my story. And um, we set up stand on the Danforth, which is one of the main thoroughfares in in Toronto, and uh, right beside a major car dealership. And at that car dealership, they were not pleased that these two young women, young girl entrepreneurs were setting up a lemonade stand beside them. And they kicked us off, even though it wasn't their land that we were on. It was um, public sidewalk. They kicked us off and told us to get away and to shoot us away. And still to this day, that experience has left a bitter taste in my mouth. But it also ignited that entrepreneur like who do you think you are? I'm going to go back. I'm going to get going on this project and not to give up. And to, you know, I think it also reminds me to help other people who are trying their business on the side to to be passionate, to help them be passionate and to be considerate and empathetic of where people are starting off in life. So I think I learned a lot of lessons from a lemonade stand. Yes, definitely. Lemonade stands are very, um, what do you call it, rich with lots of life experience and lessons and so forth. 
So to kick it off, I first I want to congratulate you in terms of um, finishing your book, getting ready to launch. That's a big accomplishment. So congratulations. And of course, I want to start off with, you know, probably the the main question, which is what prompted you to want to write a book about um, about bragging and about people promoting themselves? What was it that that pushed you to do that? You know, so many things are behind it. You know, I go back again to my broadcast days and would go to all the experts or go to the people that were claiming they were the experts or, you know, look to always see who else was out there to interview than the rest of the pack of the journalists that I was with. And it was always the same characters we'd go to, you know, it was John, it was Steve. And I'd try to get other people to go on camera. And so often they're like, no, 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 I'm not the expert. Go down the hall. And that really frustrated me as a reporter because I wanted to have a diversity of voices behind my stories. I was always like looking for somebody different because I didn't always want to be the same. I think that's like a thing with me. And so often than not, people were like, no, I'm not quite ready yet. I'm not the expert. Go to someone else. And that frustrated me. So that was one part of the thread. And then when I owned my content company, Media Face, I would we were actually training people to put themselves out there and doing some of the first videos with our clients. So, you know, video like what we're doing now wasn't really that popular in 2007 when I started it. So I was really helping companies early on to be seen and be heard through their knowledge mobilization. So sharing their subject matter experts with the world. And when I would do that, you know, on the walk to the elevator, so often I would hear from the leader who is in charge of the project. Well, I'm seeing what it's doing for your our subject matter expert. They're getting promotions. They're getting this happening. They're going to talk on international panels. Lisa, how can I do this for myself? And so I'd start to coach people at the elevator about this. And then it became part of my practice. And then in the pandemic, I realized, well, I'm really passionate about helping people be seen and be heard. And so why don't I make it into something bigger? And so that's where I wrote the book. But I think honestly, too, I am my book. I'm a hidden gem. I so often don't put myself out there as much as I should. And I could, and I know I can, but I just don't. I'm, you know, it's like one step. I have a care of Amelia Sams in the book. And she says sometimes it's, you know, she takes two steps forward to put herself out there in the world and to show how she shines and how she's here to serve. And then it's three steps back, you retreat and you don't want to be seen. And you're like, ah. And so how do we make it consistent and how do we show up? Because we have so much to give. And I think with my own mistake in life is that thinking I was somebody who eventually would find me on my little slice of the internet and and choose me and pick me. And um, you know what? That doesn't happen. Yep, for sure. Because it's busy. It's noisy. There's so many distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So then I wanted to get your your perspective on why do you think people feel so uncomfortable promoting themselves because you know a lot of people <clears throat> a lot of uh, professionals that I talk to they have been told exactly what you're saying that to take themselves to the next level in their career they really need to promote themselves more and to them it's like oh like you may as well ask me to climb mount everest like i would rather do that than promote myself so what do you think it is that makes us feel uncomfortable doing that so there's lots of layers but i'm going to point out one right now that's happening to me and it's perfectionism And that's a big problem for a lot of people. And right now for me, because as we were setting this up, all of a sudden the sun started shining in on me and it's like this bright bright white light on my face, washing me out, my background being TV news. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm so blown out here. And then that perfectionism starts to play in our head. 
And it limits us from actually showing up and being authentic. And we have to push past that. So we wait for everything to be perfect for us to do anything. And that is such a, like we've been trained, especially as women to do that. And that's so wrong. Um, I don't know if it's everyone, but a lot of people I know, they wait to be just that, you know, we have to be 10 plus. It's not just, it's 115% all the way where really we can show up because you're a high achiever. I'm a high achiever. We can show up and give somebody 75% and it's still, nobody knows that it's 75% because our Mm -hmm. 100% is so beyond what it really should be. And so I think perfectionism is one of the places, but then also it comes back to cultural, societal, and institutional issues. So culturally, you know, we societal, we still live with these factory era ideas where Back in the day, we were told to, you know, fit in and don't put yourself out there. Just, you know, keep in line, put your head down, be a good girl, and eventually someone will notice you or, you know, don't put your neck out. Oh, and we've been also told the cream rises to the top. So meritocracy, like all these things that we've been, we've had, and we had it during the factory system because things quickly had to become organized as we moved from being, you know, on the farm and and mostly an agrarian culture where we're out on the farm doing the good work and our grandmas know what we're up to, to then moving into these factories where they had to have systems in place. And we had to keep in line for safety to get our paycheck for all the different reasons that we would go into the factory system. But now we're in the fourth and quickly sliding into the fifth industrial revolution. You know, we were a little bit in the third, well, for a while in the third, in the digital era. And now we're lost sort of in this fourth and maybe into the fifth industrial era. And so times have changed so fast, but social norms haven't changed. And that's part of the problem. We're still conflicted and we're taught to behave like it's the factory era. Meanwhile, we're in this imagination or future era that we currently live in and things are changing so fast. You know, we're not competing against with the person who's just in the next cubicle. We're competing or hopefully collaborating with somebody who's across the globe. So it's a different world where we have to, yes, we want to fit in, but we also really do have to stand out. Yeah. So I guess the world is moving faster than we have actually caught up in terms of our tools and our strategies is what I'm hearing. One of the things I also wanted to mention when you were talking about that in terms of the perfectionism and being okay with 75%, you can't, we can't be a hundred, 110% every day. And we, and to your point, we don't need to be. And in a way we actually rob people by keeping back what it is that we can offer because it isn't shiny and perfect because just get it out there and move on and there are times when we do need to be 100% but to your point lots of the time 75% is more than enough so not holding ourselves back and preventing us from offering that additional value that we have yeah it's showing up and telling people how you serve and it's about putting out moments and celebrating moments instead of milestones. We wait to everything for, you know, the award or whatever it is to be bright and shiny to show people, but we don't show people the messy work along the way. And that does a few things for us. And I'll describe at least one. One, it shows, so when we say, especially when we won an award or we've done something, oh, it was nothing, you know, like that. And then the people who are coming after us or who are looking at us from the side saying, oh, how did she do that? Oh, it was nothing. Well, then that puts the level of like, well, how do I achieve that? It makes it impossible. Mm-hmm. I, like, it's that hard. It's that hard to do that. It's hard to write a book. It's that hard, you know, but, oh, I wrote a book. It's nothing. No, 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 no. 
Like, so I want you to do it, but I want you to also be aware of that. It is, you know, a climb and a journey, but it's up here. And so we have to realize that you can't just say, oh, it was nothing. No, we have to allow, or when we celebrate, oh, it was nothing. No, 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 no. Let people know that it's achievable and that they can do it too with work. Like everything still takes work, but it's achievable. And when we say like, it's nothing, people can't then get to that level. And it's a, it's a hiding imperfectionism again, really, when we say those kind of things, because I'm so great. It was nothing. Meanwhile, all the sweat and the tears and the whole roller coaster of it, the journey of it. And then that person behind us comes up and just encounters one roadblock and realizes, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, all those things start to creep in when, if we acknowledge, no, it was a challenge. It was hard, but really rewarding. That's when we can then help other people along the way, not just the next generation, but our peers and the people who have come before us too. Absolutely. Cause that's what I was um, going to say is that yes, when you don't realize that these people that you look at that are so successful or they're so seamless when they speak publicly and stuff like that, you figure all of that comes naturally. So then yes, exactly what you said that as soon as a problem comes up for you or a challenge, or you flub a presentation, it's like, oh, well, this is not for me as opposed to understanding that person has flubbed so many Right. And that's the reason why they've been able to be as good as they are right now, because they've learned from those. So that's just part of the process. So, yes, the perfectionism definitely doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve us and it doesn't serve the people who are watching us either. Yeah. And we so talk so often talk about our failures right now, which is good. But we also need to tell people about our successes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's quick. We're so quick to say, oh, this is how I failed. But also talking about our successes on the flip side of saying, here's the success I've had. Here's the things I've done along the way. Yes, I have made, you know, hundreds, thousands of mistakes. But here's also how I've won. And so often, unless we're a celebrity, we don't show how we've won. Well, we're mm-hmm. quick to show how we fail because that self-deprecation is safer Right. Then us saying, here's how I've succeeded, because then we feel also that we're putting a target on our back in, in some ways. But in a way, too, when we, we even talk about we do use that language of fail as opposed to this is how I learned. So yeah. I went down this path and I thought this was actually the way. But then I figured out that actually that wasn't working really well. And that is what led me to because it isn't truly failure. A lot of times it's figuring out refining your process, right, and figuring out what works and what doesn't work. So yes, it's also probably a language change as well to to kind of destru- describe that learning journey. Yeah, I really appreciate that because it really is that we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. So to be able to say that I've learned this way instead of I failed, it's like that's the way of, to going and to and not to let put so much pressure on that things weren't perfect and that it didn't work out the way you had intended it to, but actually it worked out in a different way that resulted in something even more interesting. So great reframe. How often does that happen? Like that happens so often. All the time. Go down a path to figure out where we actually wanted to go. All the time. And then you look back later on and it doesn't seem like a failure because it led you somewhere. That red thread, when we look back, is so amazing. But when you're in the middle of something and it's a wound and not a scar, it's hard to see the path forward and understand the whole reason why you're getting to a certain place. But when you have some hindsight, you know, that beautiful hindsight. (laughs) So I had another quick question for you, which is um, what as well, this is a mindset one as well. 
that we, there seems to be like a mindset also of promoting yourself. There's a negative connotation to that. You know, you're boastful, you're full of yourself, you're, all, there are all these different um, terms associated with that. So I think part of it as well is changing the script. And you talked about it before, um, you, you alluded to it earlier, where you talked about being 75% and being able to deliver value. So seeing bragging as a, a way of delivering value, letting people know what you're able to to help them with, as opposed to just self, you know, aggrandizing and, and saying, how, look how amazing I am. So yeah. I'm wondering where that, what your thoughts are around that mindset, around it being negative to be promoting ourselves. Yeah. And I think, again, it goes back to, we can't coming through the factory era, just keep your head down, do good work. And eventually someone will notice you because if you're quiet, then the people who own the factories could make more money. Right. right. So that's a lot of that idea. And we just felt uncomfortable with, well, what will they think? You know, Oh no, you're talking about yourself. You're telling people because we didn't need to be so clear on where we we're going because there really weren't that many careers in the past. Like you would just be the baker, the, the blacksmith, the candlestick maker, like you wouldn't be, there weren't so many different careers. So you didn't have to explain what you did and how you're serving. So that's the main point of the book, though, is really when you talk about your success with pride, you're telling the world how you are there to serve. So it's a service. When you talk about your strengths, your wisdom, your accomplishment, your successes, it's how then people will then say, oh, I know Dion can do this. Like, I I know the right person for this or Sarah or, or anyone, Mita, like whoever it is, they know that that's the person to go to. And you build up that, that idea that, oh, that's the person I need. And so I think that's part of it. I think bragging has also gotten a bad rap because of all of that in a, in the last little while. So back when the word was first coined, there's actually some, they don't really know where it came from brag. It, it doesn't fit into the whole understanding of when they break down the word, it doesn't fit into a lot of different cultures. So research what bragging brag meant. And my last name is brag. So hence why this deeper connection to the word. Um, but people, it originally was shine and shimmer. And then it became about being brave. And then it morphed into this whole idea now that we have of, you know, talking about your success with pride. And I challenge people, what is wrong with some good, healthy pride once in a while? Self-love is also pride. Yes, I know we have those visions of the people with the biggest heads and the egos and all those things. But anyone who's listening to your show they don't have to worry about that. They don't have that ego that's so ballooned that they're going to fall over themselves. You know, so we don't need to worry so much about that ego, that being humble, being modest, just go for it because there needs to be some self-love. And we've been hiding so long as hidden gems waiting to be chosen that now is our time to really say, here I am. Here's how I am here to serve. And that's where it's a difference of look at me, look at me. It's really about how do I show up so we can partner and we can do something better in the world? That's fantastic. I'm very excited to read the book just based on all these little tidbits that you've kind of dropped in terms of more information that we could learn in the book. So definitely. So I wanted to wrap up on the note of, again, speaking to speaking to professionals who feel very reluctant about mm-hmm. promoting themselves. So definitely they should read the book once it's out. Um, to get lots of strategies, but what would you leave with them today in terms of just something that they should consider in terms of promoting themselves professionally? Oh, I have so many tips in the book and there's exercises in the book too. Um, But one thing I would start with is promote a friend. So when you shine your light on someone else, it comes back to you. So 
pardon me, when you are out in the world and you are on social media, first of all, the book's not all about social media. There's so many things that you can do, first of all, for your own mindset and all inside your social networks that are smaller. So the people inside your companies, clients, there's lots of activities that you can do without being loud and proud on social media. But when you are on social media, don't just repeat the celebrities or the CEOs that we've all been given to. Look to your awesome friends like Dion and say, hey, you know what? She's posting some really awesome things. I'm going to quote her in my social posts. I'm going to make a social post about her and share those ideas. Even find a friend to do that with and to amplify each other. Because when we do that, it's shine theory. It's sistering up, which I explain in the book. And those things then make you look even smarter and brighter and the expert because you're calling out someone else for success. And that just will shine the light back on you. It'll help each of us too, because then we're seeing somebody else who's a thought leader instead of rehashing the same old, same old people. It's done. Like, let's look to the people who are beside us because all of those other voices need to be seen and heard. And they're also part of the signal and not the noise. Like it's so much noise. And I'll give you one more, uh, one more tip. I don't know, one more out of this whole book. There's so many, like there's actually exercises in it too. But, um, you know, you have to, you have to be in the way to get your way. So show up. And I think one thing, be enthusiastic. We've been taught so much now to sit back and to not be involved, but being enthusiastic, just showing up, show up for those Zoom calls if you're on them and actually turn on your camera if you can. Don't worry about the background or the lighting. And because, <laughs> you know, people are accepting now, things happen. But when you're enthusiastic, participate in the chat. E- even if it's just one little comment, put your name in there and somebody is going to read off. I always read the chat and I al- always will say, hey, there's, you know, Jacqueline in the chat from X company and she's saying this. That gives you some notoriety right then. And somebody then will say, oh, I love your thought. I love your chat. And and then connect afterwards. So those would be a few things that I'd say. Very simple mm-hmm. and things that you already know, but you probably aren't doing them. So start to do them because people will catch on sooner than later. And they'll also start to put their name in the chat and start to do smaller things. So just it's those steps of courage. Don't wait until you have confidence, take steps of courage to get there. And then you'll have some confidence because then you're going to jump again to something else and do something else new. So then you'll need more courage along the way then too. Yeah, no, I love that because it's about leading by example. So in terms of promoting other people, it's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, call myself out about some of the accomplishments that I have, but I'm also going to. So it feels a lot more, you know, inclusive and and demonstrating to other folks what, you know, they could emulate as well. And then with the enthusiasm, why I like that example is because as a byproduct of, of being more enthusiastic, you actually enjoy it more. You're more engaged, you're more involved. And then all kinds of good things come when you're engaged and involved and actually genuinely enjoying your participation. So that's those are just two of the many strategies that people can learn. So again, the book is Bragging Rights, How to Talk About Your Work Using Purposeful Self-Promotion. It releases in May. It is available for pre-order now on Amazon. So congratulations again, Lisa. And thank you so much for joining me today. This was such a fun chat and shared a lot of really um, great nuggets that are just, you know, the tip of the iceberg in terms of what people could expect when they read the book. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. And I'm continuing to cheer you on with all your endeavors too. Thank you. Thanks so much, Lisa. If you enjoyed that interview, 
please subscribe to my YouTube channel, My Lemonade Stand. You can also stream it off of your favorite podcast streaming platform. Looking forward to seeing you next time.